you, please be seated. If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to Mark's Gospel. We are picking up where we left off two weeks ago. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, indeed, as we just sang, it's Your truth that sets us free. The truth that we read in Your Holy Word. Father, we were in deep darkness until that night was shattered by the daylight of the work of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, would you be pleased to meet with us as we open your word. Father, open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts that we would know what we are to believe about you and what duty you ask of your people. Indeed, Father, may your word before us be our rule. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher and may Our supreme concern be your greater glory, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are at week number 14 in our series, Jesus According to the Bible, an exposition of the Gospel of Mark. Children, I need you to pay attention, because today we're going to talk about anatomy, anatomy. You, you, any of y'all familiar with that, that, um, that g- game Operation? You remember that? Yeah. Oh, yes. Some people weren't too good with anatomy, it doesn't sound like. Uh, well, what is anatomy? Well, it's the branch of science concerned with the bodily structure of humans, animals, and other living organisms, especially as revealed by dissection and the examination of parts. So, kids, here's your first question. What part of the body is associated with hearing? Okay, kids, come on. The ears, right. But when, and this is your second question, when is the heart associated with hearing? When is the heart shown to be associated with hearing? Well, here's the answer in our text today. Today, we're going to be in a Christian anatomy class. And in order to do that, we need to open up the textbook of sorts. As you know, in his gospel, Mark presents the good news of the gospel about Jesus and the gospel proclaimed by Jesus. Last Sunday was Easter Sunday. And even the unbelieving world stopped and acknowledged Easter in one way, shape, or form. And indeed, it's with Easter Sunday and the 30 or so years that preceded it where we see everyone's calendars go from B.C. to A.D. Jesus was and is that world-changing, calendar-changing. And yet, we know there's still widespread ignorance and confusion regarding the identity of Jesus. And so Mark here is orderly, deliberate, and purposeful in organizing and structuring his book to answer two questions, really three questions. First, who is Jesus? 
And we see that in the first half of Mark, chapters 1 through 8. And then in the second half, we see the question asked, what did Jesus come to do? And the focus there is on the work of Jesus. And right in the middle is that hinge where Jesus asked a couple of questions. Who do people say that I am? Which is an easy answer to give. Because all, all you have to do is observe what other people. But then here's the real question. The harder question. The more important question. Who do you say that I am? So Mark's purpose and aim is three things. Who Jesus is. What did Jesus come to do? And because of that, how someone should respond to the person and work of Jesus. Who is Jesus and what did he come to do? We see Mark already saying Jesus is the king and he's the king who brings with him the kingdom of God. Let's do a quick summary of Mark up to this point. In the first 15 verses of Mark chapter 1, he has announced Jesus as God's king and he's established the authority of Jesus over all creation in the rest of chapter 1. He has demonstrated the priority of Jesus to preach and to forgive. And in chapter 2, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 35, Jesus demonstrates this authority by teaching that His coming has inaugurated a new age. He's the bridegroom. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He calls to Himself a new people from out of God's old people, we see in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And he declares that one belongs to this new people, not by physical descent, but by spiritual birth, as seen in someone doing the will of the Father, in chapter 3, verse 35. We also see in chapter 3, Jesus appointing 12 apostles who share in his priority to preach. But meanwhile... Opposition has been developing against Jesus, both human and satanic, as it comes from both his family, who think he's mad, as well as the religious leaders who think he's bad. They think he's crazy on the one hand or evil on the other. Now in Mark chapter 4 and the entire chapter, uh, Jesus will show us what it looks like to do the will of God that we saw announced in chapter 3, verse 35. He explains to his disciples that that there will be a mixed and often hostile reception to his and their ministry. But then he goes on to assure them that the kingdom of God will grow. Two weeks ago, we looked at the purpose of the parables. It was Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, part 1, where we focused on verses 9 through 13. Remember, Mark is action-packed, and yet here in chapter 4, we begin to slow down. It's one of two major um, summaries of his teaching. And here we encounter what's known as the parable of the sower. It's both familiar and unfamiliar. It's the longest parable of Jesus. And it's, as he says, it's going to be the key to understanding all the parables. Two weeks ago, the last time we were in Mark 4, we saw the tension in the Word of God, the secret of the kingdom of God, and the question for us. We saw that God is sovereign, and yet man is responsible. We saw that the secret that is both concealed and revealed, the secret of the kingdom of God is Jesus. And then we saw 
that this secret has been given to you. It's been given to you. Those gathered around Jesus, it's been given to them. And here we have some questions because we're understanding the king, but we're also having to understand the kingdom of God. And so Jesus tells a parable of the kingdom. But we will see that it's a parable also about the word of God because as the word goes, so goes the kingdom of God. It's a parable about the word of God. It's about the kingdom of God. The parables of chapter 4 will show us that the progress of the kingdom of God is the progress of the word. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not a power and might physical kingdom. No, it's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of his word. And we see the progress of God's word is carried on in the face of much failure. And yet the progress of the kingdom of God is assured by both the power of the word and the purpose of the king. Now, as some of you heard earlier today in our class, uh, the past few days have been really hard days. And I struggled for quite some time to see how this section of Mark's gospel best could be presented. Well, when I was about to give up, anybody ever been there? When I was about to give up, I told myself I needed to go back to the basics. Because you can't go wrong if you go back to the basics. The basics of Bible study. Three steps. And I remember in our family room years ago as there was an initial group of people being interested in this new church. We, we spent weeks on how to study the Bible. And it was very simple in one sense. It was observation, interpretation, application. Observation, what does the church say, uh, the, the text say? Uh, interpretation, what does the text mean? And application, how does it get put into practice? Well, it was then that I realized that this would work well both as an outline for this text as well as the message. Because I believe our passage presents a call to listen to the Word of God, a call to understand the Word of God, and a call to apply the Word of God. So those of you taking notes, again, the outline did not beat the publication deadline. It's the call to listen to the Word of God, the call to understand the Word of God, and finally the call to apply the Word of God. Look with me now as I read the first nine verses of Mark chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. 
Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. The call to listen to the word of God. Here's the parable told. And notice there's two bookends. On the front end, listen. On the back end, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is urgent. This is something that requires our immediate focus and attention, Jesus is saying. Notice, if you would, Jesus is on a boat. People are beside the sea. Now, you'd expect a parable about fishing, wouldn't you? But what do we get? No, a parable about farming. Because everybody would have been familiar with farming in first century Palestine. And farming goes like this. Seed is sown everywhere. You sow and then you plow. And the harvest reveals the good ground. Kids, have you guys ever been on a farm before? I know some of you have grandparents and aunts and uncles who have farms. Yeah. And what do you do first? You plow it, right? And then you put the seed in, but not then. Not in Palestine. Not where Jesus was. No. You scattered seed everywhere. Then you plowed and the harvest revealed where the good ground was. Well, let's observe and note this picture painted before our eyes through the words of Jesus. There's one main character, the sower. The sower. Indeed, I guess that's why the title is thought to be, or the, uh, the parable of the sower. There's one character. But there's a couple of main objects. There's the seed and the soil. And notice there are... There is one kind of seed, but there are four kinds of soil. And here's the basic plot line and storyline. In fact, when I'm watching a movie, some animated movie, and I can't make heads or tails, I go to a Wikipedia site or something like that because I can't figure it out, and I find where it says plot summary, and I'm saved. Somebody else has helped me understand the plot. And here's the plot, the storyline. The first three efforts fail. The final effort, great success. The first three efforts, fruitless. The last and fourth effort, fruitfulness. Great success. Again, notice how this parable is framed with the call to listen. We are a people of the word. How does faith come? By hearing. Hearing the word of God. So much of our culture is image driven, isn't it? It's from one image to the other. And yet God has been pleased and purposed to to give us, as it were, eyes through our ears. To hear the word of God. To know him through his word, not through his PowerPoint, not through 
uh, his slick graphics. The word of God. And notice, this parable will be the key parable for understanding all the parables. Well, what Jesus proclaims in public, he now goes on to explain in private to his disciples. It's more than just a matter of listening with the ears. It's a matter of understanding with the mind. Join with me now as I read beginning in verse 10. And when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him, that would be Jesus, about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Here is the call to understand. Here's the parable explained. Now let's take a moment before we actually look at the explanation of the parable. Based on verses 10 through 12, our understanding is not something that we achieve, but rather it is something that we receive. We have to be given an explanation. Otherwise, there's no understanding or there's wrong understanding. So Jesus has to explain what he has proclaimed. In other words, the word in the flesh interprets the word spoken and indeed for us, the word written. Because we will see as he explains this parable, Jesus is the sower. The seed is the word of God that he proclaims, and the soils are the hearts of people. Join with me now as I read verses 14 through 20. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them, and and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and one hundredfold. Well, those of you that may have been in church for a while, probably have heard sermons on this parable of the sower, parable of the soils. And so we need to just make a quick run through it, stopping here and there to make sure we understand the picture being presented. The first type of soil is hard soil, where the enemy is the devil, Satan. It's sown along the path and it's impervious 
to the gospel, as it were. It's water off a duck's back. It has no effect. It's on the path and then it's gone, Jesus said. It's the hard heart. And the enemy of the hard heart here is the devil, Satan himself. The second type of soil is not a hard heart, but a shallow heart. Where the enemy is the flesh. It's rocky ground. It's underneath there is resistance to the real and lasting impact of the word. So Jesus has presented the hard heart. He's presented the shallow heart. And look with me again about this shallow heart. It's rocky ground. They hear it. They immediately receive it with joy. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds great. And yet, they have no root in themselves. I'm thinking of Colossians 2. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, rooted in Him. There's no root. It's shallow. And the third type of soil is not the hard heart or the shallow heart. It's the divided heart. And the enemy is not so much Satan, although he's the enemy behind the enemy. It's not so much the flesh, although the flesh is going to be participating in this. It's the world. The world. And we heard it read from 1 John. Do not love the world or the things of the world. They're thorns that choke the word, that constrict the word, as it were, crush the hearer. It's the divided heart. There's the hard heart, the shallow heart, and the divided heart. Notice in this soil where the thorns are, people hear the word, but along come the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. And they choke what was sown. They choke. And we read it proves unfaithful. And yet, as we know that when Jesus told the parable, there were four soils. And when he explains the parable, he's got to get to this fourth soil. It's the soil of a receptive heart. It's not hard. It's not shallow. It's not divided. It's a receptive heart heart. It's a new heart. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. It's plowed ground. We heard the tension earlier in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18, make yourselves a new heart. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart. It's plowed ground. It's been broken up. It's gone deep. It's got a single focus. Jesus describes three categories of wrong response and one right response to the Word of God. Only two ultimate responses to the Word. Fruitlessness or fruitfulness. We've seen the call to both listen and to understand, but there's also another call, a call to apply the Word of God. In other words, there's a call to put the parable into practice. 
to take it, as it were, to heart. The call to apply the word of God. We see it at the end of verse 20, bear fruit. It's the parable put into practice. Now, application is not directly stated anywhere, but the call to apply is everywhere. In his commentary on this passage, J.C. Ryle quotes an ancient writer and says this, quote, it needs application, not just exposition. This parable that we've just heard told and heard explained by Jesus We have to take it personally. What do I mean? It's got to be a mirror held up to our own lives. It forces us to ask questions and to be sober and honest. It helps us recognize that there are three main enemies or barriers to patient, submissive listening to the word of God. And of course, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not just a a catchy phrase, but actual what scripture teaches. Because self-deception is easy. And how do you know when you're being deceived? Help me out. Impossible. You're never able to know at the time you're being deceived. And that's one of the benefits and blessings of being in a church. We all have blind spots, and we all need to look out literally for one another. Self-deception is easy. The Word has got to go in deep. And it takes great openness to the Word as the soil is open to the seed. It's a plowed heart. It's a plowed heart. Just As only time will tell if a seed has been properly planted, only time can tell if the truth has been planted deeply. Because as we saw in our parable, it is possible to hear with a hard, shallow, and divided heart. People do it all the time. But here's another thing we have to take into account. We have to take this parable not only personally, but also professionally. Professionally, what do I mean? As in profession of faith. We have to take it by faith because it's not only a mirror that we see ourselves, it's a window through which we see God and His promises. It's a window into the guaranteed growth and unstoppable nature of the kingdom of God. And here's the punchline of the parable. Here's the shock value of the parable. It's not the waste of the seed, but rather it's the size of the harvest. A phenomenal, even by standards of fertile Galilee. Did you read that? You put in seed and it bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. My friends... To be sure, there is failure before us. But my friends, there is great success. So I'd like us to end now on two words. Thanksgiving to God and confidence in God. 
And those two words are for the people who have looked into the mirror of God's word and through the window of God's word. These words are those who have recognized the tension of having to both ask God for a new heart, Ezekiel 18, and are humble enough to receive a new heart from God, Ezekiel 36. So there's thanksgiving to God and confidence in God. My friends, consider your life. Jesus often in parables would say, consider the lilies of the field. Consider there was a man with two sons. Consider two men went up to the temple to pray. Here, consider your life. Look up to God and give him thanks Be grateful. Display a heart of gratitude because this parable is designed to ask and answer this one question. How on earth do we become good soil? And here's the answer. It's only by grace. Consider your life. Look up to God and express confidence. Display a heart of assurance that the word of God will do its work in your life. And as it goes out, as the word goes out, so goes the kingdom. The unstoppable kingdom of God that continues to draw sinners and change sinners to more and more reflect the image of their king, their savior, their Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been pleased not only to present the parable to us, but to explain it. So Father, would you give us ears and minds and hearts that can hear and understand and apply your truth. Oh God, may we be people who long to be plowed by your word, who long for the seed of your word to be so properly placed in our lives that our lives cannot but bear fruit. And Father, when we see the fruit, may we always recognize it's not us. But we are bearing fruit because we are connected to the vine. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.